Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't count them. I don't know how many times the word love is used in this chapter, but it's frequent And enough so that as a family, you really need to have a conversation at some point. I think it would probably be best to start with about what love is and contrast that with the love of this world. The love of the world 
So you might ask, how does the world define love? Your older children should be able to interact with that question. They deal with this mess on a day-to-day basis in their lives, most likely. The world defines love perhaps in two ways. There is the sexual love uh, that has been very prevalently displayed in the United States over the last generation, really, maybe the last few generations if we boil it down. The idea of what the Greeks would have called eros, a, a romance, a passion, a desire of the flesh. The other love that is prominent, I think, ends up, has a connection to that first, and that's the one that the world would call tolerance. That if you love me, you'll let me do what I want. If you love me, you won't correct me. You won't tell me I'm wrong. And so the sinner, stuck in their sins, believes that it is loving to let them continue in their sins while it would be unloving to tell them that what they believe, what they love, what they put their hope in is wrong or dangerous and so forth. If you're coming to this text with that definition of love, you're not going to understand this text. When we talk about the love of God, we are talking about a much deeper, a much more powerful love. Uh, We would call it agape. This is the unconditional love of God. This is the love that probably best seen in the world would exist sometimes between a parent and child. Think of a a faithful parent, a, a good parent who does a decent job. And the way that they love their child unconditionally. That no matter what the child does, they still love him. No matter how he might rebel, they still love him. There might be harsh love. There might be discipline. In fact, there probably should be discipline throughout our lives. But they love him unconditionally. He can always come home. There's always a place for him in the family. This is the love of God. It's an unconditional love. As you think about this creation, how he made Adam and Eve and how they fell into sin, and yet he still loved them. Even from the very moment of their breaking his commands, breaking his world, his creation, He's already promising a Savior, Jesus Christ, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, who would come and crush the enemy, crush the serpent's head, defeating the devil. And he did. No matter how many times his people rebelled against him, no matter how many times they wandered off, he kept going. He kept chasing after them. He kept calling them to come home. And he's done that for you and for me as well. He loves us unconditionally. It doesn't mean he doesn't give us trials to endure. That he doesn't allow suffering on behalf of our sins, the consequences of our sins. It doesn't mean he doesn't discipline us. Nor does it mean that in the end, if we choose to finally reject him on the day of judgment, that he will spare us. But it is a so much different 
love than the way the world looks at love. So having that picture of an unconditional love is significant to the understanding of today's text. All right. We start out, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Another one for a family conversation, I think, if you want to chat with your kids. Have you ever heard someone teach you something wrong about Jesus or about God? That might stump some of them for a while, but again, I think the older children should be able to recognize it. Your younger children might be able to as well. This is what we call discernment. To be able to discern, that is to judge between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and falsehood. And we are told by John here that we need to be able to do this. I remember public speaking class in college days, and I wrote a speech on this topic. Essentially the idea that even, I was in pre-seminary, I was planning to go to the seminary, and so were a few of my classmates, that even though your pastor preaches a sermon on Sunday morning, you shouldn't take him at his every word. But you should test the Spirit. You should hear what he says, and if something sounds like it, it's new to you or maybe off to you, open God's Word and put your pastor's sermon to the test, or his Bible class to the test. I'm not infallible. I am a sinner, just like everyone else, Um, and thanks be to God that he chooses to work through me. Thanks be to God for the opportunity to share Christ with all of you. This is wonderful, but it's also a, a hard calling and a high responsibility to be careful with how I handle and treat the Word of God so that I would not be one of these false prophets, one of these antichrists, many of whom are in the world already. And that was John 1900 years ago. The plethora of false teaching about Jesus doesn't seem to know any bound. It's everywhere. So indeed, we must be able to discern, test what we hear. The best way to test it is by God's word. Be a student of God's word. Sit at his feet on a regular basis, hearing God's word from the Lord himself. And then, when you hear something a little off, you'll know where to look for it in scripture. And if you're struggling, I encourage you to talk to your pastor. Pastor, I heard this the other day. I don't know. It doesn't sound right. What do you think? Can you take me into, can we study scripture together? Pastor, you said this in your sermon a week ago. I'd never heard that before. Can you show me that in scripture? Those are fantastic questions to ask, and I would guess if you have a faithful pastor, he'll be open to doing so. John's test is actually quite simple here, that if the spirit, if the person confesses Jesus Christ incarnate, that is, that God became man, took on flesh, became one of us, The Annunciation, Incarnation, March 25th, celebration of the church, as the Holy Spirit conceives inside of Mary's womb, Jesus Christ our Lord. If they can say that, they're from God. If they can't say that, they're not from God. Instead, they are the Antichrist. Notice that. That's your distinction. 
that means there's a lot of antichrists, right? How many people in your life don't confess Jesus as Lord? Antichrist. The spirit of the antichrist is with them instead of the spirit of Christ. Anti is Greek for instead of, in place of, so they have something in place of Christ in their life. That was all of us before the Holy Spirit created faith in us. So, John then reminds us that we are from God and have already overcome them. Again, Romans chapter 8 ends with this fantastically. Jesus Christ has overcome them on the cross. Sin, death, and devil are put to death by Christ himself, and thus none of them have any power over us anymore. We have overcome them. We have overcome the enemy, even if it doesn't feel like it. But Christ, he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world, which would be either the devil or the spirit of the Antichrist, whichever way you want to look at that phrase. So, similar to the speech of Jesus, John chapters 15, 16, 17, John here tells us that we are not of this world, basically. So the world listens to its own. It listens to those false teachers. It listens to those antichrists, those evil spirits, false prophets. It loves them. It it eats them up. But it doesn't know God, and so it doesn't know us, and it doesn't hear our word. Now, it is true the Spirit will work on occasion, thanks be to God, uh, that his word will soften a heart, a seed planted, faith created. For that we rejoice. The second paragraph of today's text is what's going to shift us into the conversation around love. Let us love one another so unconditionally, agape love for the brethren in the church, because love is from God. And to love one another in such a way is to be born of God. Again, John chapter 3, Nicodemus must be born of water and the word. This is something I think we can see in spades today. The culture around us wants nothing to do with forgiveness. They really don't. Everything's pushing for retaliation, revenge, vengeance, reparations, continued pushes for divisions and and building walls in between groups of peoples. There is no desire for forgiveness. There is no desire for reconciliation. You wronged me, now I'm going to wrong you back. Now let me get the upper hand. You had a season of power, not anymore. It's been stripped from you, now it's my turn to have a season of power, and I'm going to do to you what you did to me. That's the world's look. Yeah, they use their terms. They talk about bigotry and intersectionality and all sorts of topics. They don't know love because God is love, and they don't know God. They can't give forgiveness to one another because they don't know forgiveness. They don't know Christ. Verse 9 is very similar to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you read verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
This is your gospel good news. God loved us so much. He gave his son to die for us. And through this, in this, he taught us what love is. He manifested, made it known to us. Love is, again, unconditional. Love forgives. Love reconciles. This is what Christ has done for us. We who were once far off, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were once dead in our trespasses, we have been made alive in Jesus. We who looked like we were destined for hell now have the promise that we will be raised again unto new life where we will live in paradise with Jesus Christ forevermore. Hallelujah. Verse 10 gives us the word propitiation again. Second time in the book, it showed up back in chapter 2. Propitiation is, in short, atonement, to atone, to make reconciled. That Jesus has made us acceptable in the eyes of God again. He's reconciled us to the Father. Taken away our sins that separated us once from God. So, verse 11, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. You'll probably recognize verse 19 a little more strongly. We love because he first loved us. Very well-known Bible passage there. They essentially say the same thing. God loves us, we love one another. God forgives us, we forgive one another. That's what's seen in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. God shows us mercy. We show mercy to each other. We would not know how to do these things if it were not for Christ. There are cultures in this world that know nothing of these things. They know nothing but their own hatred because that's what our sinful hearts want to do. There are cultures that have been either Christian or have had enough Christians in them long enough that some of those traits get picked up. They don't recognize it. But America has had a past where reconciliation and mercy happened because the majority of people in the land were Christian and had that background and had that love of Christ. Not really the case any longer, and so we see the shifting sands of our culture. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. Chapter 3, though, said that we will. The day is coming when we will see him face to face. But if we love each other, God is in us. His love is perfected in us. Made perfect, made complete, made whole. God's love is made complete when we take that love and share it. Because the Lord did not make us to be selfish. The Lord made us to care for his creation. You are part of his creation. Your neighbor is part of his creation, so we are given to love each other, to care for each other. And so it's perfected in us because we are, we are being like Christ to one another. We know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us the Spirit. The Spirit's the one who creates faith. If you can confess Jesus is your Lord who has taken on the flesh, died to save you from your sins. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave you the ability to say that. So you can know for certain, no doubt, 
that God is in you, which is a fantastic hope and comfort. John says that they have testified that Jesus is the Savior sent into the world. Whoever else confesses that, again, abides in God, God in him. If we abide in one another, as husband and wife abide with each other, we live forever with Christ in paradise. So this abiding word is going to show up a whole bunch of times. To abide, remain is another way you could translate it. We've come to know and to believe the love God has for us, and that's what we've been talking about, his unconditional love, that he has atoned us, made us one with him again. This is a beautiful thing, and it's why verse 17, we have confidence on the day of judgment. We know our end. And it's not an end, it's in a way you could say a beginning. I don't necessarily want to call it a beginning, though, because we are alive now in Christ already. But the day comes where we get to enter paradise, and that's far from being an end. We have many days to go. In fact, so many that they're not even numbered because they never end. Confidence on the day of judgment because we know Christ dwells in us. He is, as he is, so also are we in this world. That's a good family conversation too, perhaps, talking about how is God in this world. He's not living a life in this world, doing the stuff the world likes to do, giving in to their darkness. He came into this world to call the world away from their darkness, and so shall we. We are not here to enjoy all the pleasures, fleeting pleasures of this world. We are here to walk in the light, that others might see the light, and that the Lord might work through us, through the proclamation of his word, in order to rescue people from the darkness. Then we get we wrap up with a bit about loving God and loving your brother. If you don't love your brother, you don't love God. You've seen your brother. If you can't come to love him unconditionally, how can you love someone you haven't seen unconditionally? It makes you a liar. So uh, there's a contrast point really to end the text that we love God, we must also love our brother. It doesn't mean you'll always like your brother. It's worth saying, but it's an unconditional love. You're reconciled. There's always a place in the family, just as there's always a place for us in the Lord's family. Thanks be to God, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us praise the Word incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place, Jesus died.